Hey guys, welcome back to the Back Yourself Show. My name is Tom Ferry. I am a two-time founder and active angel investor. Now, when I first got into the startup world, I had no idea what I was doing. And to try and find out, I went and met loads of people and asked them for advice. And on this show, we speak to those people to give advice on certain subjects. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We reached out to you, the audience, and asked you what questions you had that hadn't been answered on the show. And so what I've done is I've taken those questions I've tried to answer them as best I can based on conversations I've had outside of the show and in other areas as well. I hope you find it valuable. And if you do have any more questions, we'll do one of these again. So chuck them in. Question one, how would you go about building a network of VCs in a country where the startup culture isn't prominent? Bear in mind, I'm building from a small village in the south of France and my co-founder is in a village in Bangladesh. Okay, this is a really difficult problem which is faced by a lot of people so and there isn't an easy answer and I think the but the best answer you can have I think then the best strategy is to start small and scale up don't start by taking that bad advice of like just emailing loads of really tier one VCs and asking them for advice on a certain subject there's no differentiation there first of all you need to start positioning yourself as an expert in something within your field Okay, you need to start positioning yourself and doing that early on. You need to start doing thought leadership. If you are building a startup, you must have something that you think that you are better at than everyone else. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. Start talking about that. And then as you start talking about that, then start inviting people to join the discussion with you. A classic way to do that, being really practical, would be write an article on um, LinkedIn and then say, hey, X, Y and Z, what are your thoughts on this? And do the same on Twitter, maybe do a shout out on, on TikTok. And I've actually found that to work and people have started commenting. And you start building that relationship with them. And then after you start building that relationship with them, you can start talking to them about other things as well. So you can start saying, hey, look, maybe we could have a call on this sometime. I'd love to get your thoughts. I'm thinking about writing a white paper about this. It'd be interesting to have you involved. And they may want to get involved because ultimately what you have to realize is that investors care about profile most of the time. And if you can give them access and give them something that's going to give them profile, that's good. So you've got to have something of value. The next thing as well that I would do is I would start investing. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It can be a really small amount. You can start investing in startups at like, I don't know, 500 quid or something like that. And you may not have that. I appreciate that. But if you do have that kind of money, start looking at companies on Crowdcube and Cedars and start looking at these startups and start having conversations with them. And then you'll find that you're actually co-investing with people. And people start reaching out to you and saying, hey, I saw we co-invested on this deal. And you can do the same thing to them. And over time, you start scaling it up and you maybe you're putting in a thousand bucks and you're speaking to more and more startups. Get yourself involved in the startup community. And by virtue of that, you'll then start to be involved in the VC community. That would be my advice. There is no simple and easy way to do it. But if you start small and you start building, you'll eventually be in a position where you have really good relationships. And that's absolutely what happened to me. When I started the show, I had no contacts in the VC world at all. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I have got a good network and I can invite great people on the show. What are the best strengths and personality traits to have as a founder? This is not an easy question to answer because there's loads of things that you need to be. That's the reality of being a founder. You have to be a lot of things. Like you have to be a mentor to people in your team. You have to sometimes be incredibly empathetic and sympathetic to people in your team. So there's more of a, uh, a compassionate side. There's lots of things you need to be good at, but there are a few things you have to be exceptional at. 
The one thing that differentiates your founder from everyone else in your business is your ability to keep moving forward no matter what hits you on the way. You will be hit by so much rejection, so much failure, so much pain, so much anguish, so many sleepless nights throughout your journey that if you don't have an incredible amount of resilience, you won't survive. And I know that's a really obvious answer, but then I'm going to follow that up and say, how do you cultivate resilience in your everyday life? And I heard a really good strategy on this recently from a military friend of mine. And he said, resilience is basically the process of doing things that you don't like doing. So build that into your everyday. Build into your everyday the process of doing something small that you don't want to do, but you still carry on doing it. And that might be, and this might sound a bit like toxic positivity, but that might be having a cold shower in the morning. You get in the shower, you have a regular shower for two minutes of normal heat, and at the end, just turn it on full cold and just do that for 30 seconds to a minute. Now, there are lots of health benefits to it, but the big benefit is that you don't want to do that. You don't want to go through that every day. And the fact that you are doing it is building resilience. It's making you realize that even though something seems hard and is painful, you can still continue to do it. Get in the practice of every time someone sends you a WhatsApp or an email that you don't want to respond to, just do it straight away. Just respond to it and keep going. And that practice will make you more resilient and will make you more successful. And do that about everything, whether it's exercise, whether it's calling your parents, whether it's checking your bank balance, whatever it is, whatever's hard to do, keep doing the hard things and you will build resilience. The second thing is you have to be the best communicator in your business. Because it is your job to communicate to investors, partners, employees, what is going on at all times. And if they don't understand what's going on and you're not articulating that message properly, you'll never get anywhere. You have to be the best communicator in your business. Fact. So train that all the time. Try explaining what you do to people who will never understand it. Make sure that when you speak to people in your organization, you ask them to repeat back to you what they think they understood from that. Because if they don't understand, that's not their problem. That's your problem. You have to be the best at this and you have to practice. And the third thing is, I think you have to be emotionally contagious. If you can't make people realize the importance of something because of how important it is to the business and you can't make them feel that importance, they're not going to do it. If you can't make people feel the excitement that you feel about what you're doing, they're not going to feel it. You have to become a performer. You have to create that. That's what actors are so great at is they make you feel what they're feeling. That's why they are so successful. And that's why they're ahead of everyone else because people criticize their performances. But if you feel sad when they're sad, that means they're winning. And so you need to become exceptional at doing that. And so get in the practice of trying to get people excited, get people motivated, get people, pick them up when they're feeling down, make people realize when they've done something wrong and help to pick them up afterwards. Those are the kind of behaviors that you need. Resilience, emotional contagion and exceptional communication. One of my thoughts on hustle culture, I love hustle culture. And the reason why is because the reality is that if you are going to succeed to the level that you're capable of, you have to hustle. And the people that are telling you that it's bad hustle culture are either the people who aren't going to make it or conversely, the people who have already made it and hustled really hard and now are saying that they shouldn't have done or that you shouldn't. And maybe that's because they don't want you to be successful as well. I don't know. But the reality of it is, if you are a founder, there are times when you are going to have to work on a Sunday. There are times when you're going to have sleepless nights. And what are you going to say when it's 
three days towards payday and you're like, oh, do you know what? I'm really knackered and I'm just going to take a couple of days off because I don't want to go and get the funds to pay for this. And then what do you do? Do you go and say to the rest of your team, sorry, guys, I just didn't really want to work that hard. It doesn't work like that. There is n- the- People say, like, what is the price of winning? Ask yourself, what is the price of that feeling when you don't win and you know that you could have done more? Okay, the regret of failure is so huge and you know in your heart whether you've worked hard enough and whether you could work harder, okay? And I just think that people should work as hard as they can to achieve their goals. And if you're not willing to put the time in, maybe you don't really want it. And another comment on that is, we would never criticize someone like Kobe Bryant for getting up at 5.30 in the morning and going to the gym before everyone else. We'd never criticize him for that. We'd never criticize uh, Cristiano Ronaldo for turning up to training early and leaving late. We'd never criticize him for that because that's the effort they have to put in to be the best in the world. But for some reason, we do have a problem with saying to founders, it's not okay for you to work late or work at the weekends. Why is that not okay? Why can't we treat this with an athlete's mindset? That's what I don't understand. I think that's a real problem in our culture. and I think it needs to stop. What advice would you give to a first-time founder who's struggling to raise investment? First piece of advice I'd say, everyone struggles to raise investment. It's so hard and now is the hardest time I've ever experienced or ever seen. And a lot of people will testify to that. And it is very, very hard, okay? And first of all, take solace in the fact that other people are struggling. You're not the only person that's struggling. But the only advice I can give to you is keep going, keep getting better, And don't give up. That's the only advice I can give to you, okay? Because at the end of the day, the only way that you can fail to raise money is if you stop trying, okay? It might take you a long time. You might have to go and get another job. You may have to go and do some consultancy. You may have to pivot. You may have to bring your business down to zero and rebuild it again. But the only way, honestly, that you are going to fail with raising money is if you stop. You just got to keep going. And I know it sucks and it's really hard, but you just got to keep going. Are there any companies that you particularly admire the journey of? I can't think of one that I particularly admire because I think every company in truth has something very admirable about it. Whether it's explosive growth, whether it's they've bootstrapped, whether they have built a product in an incredible market, whether they continue to pivot and recreate themselves to meet demand, whether they have an amazing culture. I think all of these things are hugely admirable. I think that Those are always the ones I admire. I think the most admirable companies are just the ones that manage to get through what appears to be something very, very difficult and still survive and still keep going. And I think that's great. Um, All in all, though, I think the most admirable companies are the ones that put their employees first. I think those are the best ones because at the end of the day, that the customer's problems you're solving or the money you're making investors, that's important. But ultimately, the people who work for you, it's their livelihood. That's what they're doing every day they're working for you. And if you're helping to enrich those people, that's the most impressive thing you can do. And it's really hard to know who those companies are because you're not in them. So the only way you would know is if you were there. And so, yeah, this is a silent high five to those people who know who they are and are doing amazing things. What is the first employee you should hire? I don't think there's a simple answer to that. But one employee that people don't hire fast enough I think, is an employee that in some way interacts with your potential customer. People spend a lot of time hiring product managers, developers, 
and marketers or whatever, and they're all great, but if they're not interacting with your potential customer, I think that's the biggest mistake. On the show, the number one piece of advice that every person gives pretty much is speak to your customers. The retrospective advice people always give is, I wish I spoke to my customers sooner to really understand their problem. And I think that's where the problem is. So it doesn't matter who it is, but it's just what they're doing. The most important thing you can do at any stage of your business is speak to your customers and understand truly the problem that you're solving and the value they attribute to your solution. What is the advice I have for starting a business? It's really simple, just do it. Just, just start doing something. It doesn't have to be a lot. It might be just drawing a marketing plan. It might be you're doing some product architecture. It might be drawing out what team you need, but just do something. And it is an avalanche effect. The more you do a little bit and then it turns into something, it builds and builds and builds and builds. The worst thing you can do is nothing. Okay, so just do something and then just see how it grows. And I'd add to that, it's just keep going. Yeah, don't give yourself a time frame and say, I need to get to X by this day. Don't, you don't have to do that. But just commit to doing something all the time. Whether it's like you've got a job at the moment, commit to doing half an hour a day on it. And just keep going and you will get to something which turns into something and then hopefully you'll create something amazing. If it's so easy for people to say all this investment talk on here, why do they all need to sell online courses? It's a great question. Um, I think that most people who become founders, uh, most people who are naturally entrepreneurial and what they do is they see revenue options and opportunities and I think online courses are a great way to do that because if you have overcome a challenge, then you have a set of skills and knowledge on that challenge that will be valuable to other people. And I think it's very sensible that they go and sell online courses about that to not only share that knowledge so that people can, can take that advice and build something themselves, but also so they get remunerated for it. I think it's a great thing. I think they should be doing it. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So has the VC landscape changed since um, I've started raising money? Yeah, absolutely. So two years ago, um, and it's such a short space of time, two years ago, I got told by an investor that I wasn't ambitious enough with my projections. They said, look, I want to see how you're generating 100 million pounds, genuinely 100 million pounds worth of revenue within three years. Astonishingly ambitious to do that. They said that's what they wanted to see. And also investors have this thing of like, look, just grow, just grow, just grow. I don't care if you're losing money, just grow and then you'll get more money. Just grow, grow, grow because capital is available. Now, all I get asked about is how are you going to get to profitability? How are you going to generate raw revenue per person or customer so that you get to profitability quicker? It's astonishingly, astonishing how different it is. And it's really frustrating as a founder because you know, you've been pushed down this path and to build a business in such a way to then say, actually, we don't want you to build it that way anymore. We want you to build it this way. Um, and that's been very difficult as a founder but it is what it is. And if you're going to raise money, you've got to play the game. They are ultimately a customer and you've got to sell them a service, a product, and your product is your business. And they've got to give you something for that. And so you've got to make sure that you have the right product for them. 
Um, so don't get disappointed about it. Don't get grumpy about it. You've just got to deal with it and you've got to build your narrative around that. Um, and it is hard. Also, the availability of capital is so much less. Now, one thing I will add to that, people forget, like, um, as uh, David Foreman said on the show recently, like, people forget that VCs aren't the aren't guardians of cash and they don't want to spend it. There are many VCs that don't actually get paid until they allocate capital. So they actively want to invest. It's just the things they're investing in are slightly different and they're just being a bit more cautious. So um, the money is there. You just have to change your narrative and maybe separate yourself out a bit more. What are my top three considerations when hiring people? I think the most important thing for me is work ethic. I want to get the vibe that this person loves working and the reward from it. I know that's like a bit, I promote hustle culture a little bit, but I'm someone who, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I have worked hard at something, I feel a reward from that. Whether that could be gardening or it could be cleaning in a house. It could be anything, but also things like writing an article, recording a podcast, raising investment, writing a product plan, doing a business plan. Like just the value you get from knowing that you've committed to something and worked hard at it. You want those people in your business. The second thing is you want someone who has ideas that you don't. Okay, you don't necessarily want people who just have the same ideas as you or they're just saying, yeah, 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 all the time. Now, you need a bit of that, okay, because if you've got a team of everyone shouting at you with ideas left, right and center, that can be quite complicated and quite difficult to believe, be, deal with. But generally speaking, you want people who are going to bring something else to the table and think in a way that you don't. Um, and that's quite easy to test during an interview um, because they'll just say something that you weren't thinking about. Simple as that. The third thing is, remember, like, you have to work with these people. If you aren't enjoying that interview process socially, like you're not enjoying that interaction with them, why do you think you'd enjoy working with them? Why do you think you're going to enjoy having that energy in your office? You probably aren't. And I have made the mistake in my own company of hiring people who I don't like. And being frank about it, like it's made my working experience with them not as good. And so it's really important that you hire people that you're going to enjoy working with because that will make a better working environment. It'll make them better. It'll make you better. It's important. So don't hire dicks. So don't hire me ever. Uh, book recommendations for founders books. Of course, I recommend my own book, which comes out on the 19th of January. Thanks so much for bringing that uh into this uh, this conversation that is how to not fuck up your startup it's a collection of all the ideas of the people who've been on the show um i think it's great because i wrote it um the best book i've read in startups is actually called traction by gabriel weinberg the founder of DuckDuckGo. and the reason it's so powerful it's one of the few books where it has a strategy for every single type of um channel with which you could gain traction and it's really powerful and has a really good model. But one of the problems you have typically with startup books is they have a concept right at the very beginning. You read that concept and it just justifies it for the next 300 pages. Whereas this book has a really good uh, methodology and talks you through it for every single channel. And I really admire that. So when do you know when it's time to give up on a business? I think in reality, I think you know. I think that people know in truth whether or not this is going to turn into something or not. And ultimately, that comes down to, are your customers actually interested in what you do? Are they, are, are you having any indication that they actually want the service that you're providing? Um, and if the answer to that question, in truth, is, is actually no, then you've got to call it quits. There might be a case of, 
yeah, you also need to call it quits because the cost to scale it to the point where it's going to make money is just so astronomical that it's not worth doing. So I may need to do a pivot. But generally speaking, I think in your heart, you know. Um, and the most and the the most obvious one uh, that people don't talk about um, the most about when is it right to stop and give up is when you're ready to give up. Like if you're not willing to put the time in, if you're not willing to to take the rejection and the pain that it's going to take to get to where you need to get to, you've just got to stop. The most difficult question I've been asked in a pitch meeting, I, you know what, actually, it's an interesting one. It comes up more often than you think. Is people say to you, why are you the right person to run this business? And that's a really hard question to answer because there is that, there's that classic bravado and you're like, well, I'm an expert in this. I achieved this before or whatever. But it's just, it just doesn't really, really mean anything. And actually, it's a really hard question because, like, you have to have belief that you can make this work. And being able to articulate fully to someone why you are the better choice than everyone else is really hard. And recently, I went for coffee with an investor and I was telling him my backstory and how I got to where I was because that's pretty standard fare. And then he said to me, Stop talking tell me who you are. Tell me what is the glimmer of greatness in you, which means that you are more likely to give me a return for my investment than everyone else. What is there in you? And actually, that's quite a hard question to answer because I think at the end of it, all of us are actually deeply insecure about whether or not we think we're going to be able to make it and we all have a bit of imposter syndrome. And that's a hard question. Um, but people do ask it. So make sure you're ready. Um, I won't share my answer because it wasn't great and he didn't invest. <laughs> what is the best way to increase your profile as a founder? Okay, this is something that I'm not an expert in. Um, but we've had people on the show that are. And I think there are a few questions. Ask yourself what you want to be known for first. What is it? Try and if someone was to go and talk about you to someone else and describe who you are, how would you want them to describe you? What, are you, what do you want people to think that you are the best in the world at or moving towards being the best in the world at? Answer that question and then talk about it. And that might be that you're sharing other people's content or it might be that you're writing your own content. But ask yourself that question. And secondly, commit to it. The truth is about LinkedIn is that if you are posting three times a week, you're in the top 1% of people, Okay. Just keep going. I've recently had a massive drop off in um, the amount of content I'm posting on LinkedIn. And I've gone from eight to 8,000 uh, or so views every every 90 days to being in like the 600s. I'm the same person, same expertise, but I'm just not producing any content. So why would anybody, anybody be looking at my profile? And so there is this thing about just keep posting things and over time it will build. The biggest mistake I've made as a founder is always the same one. It's hiring the wrong people or not hiring the people that I should have done. And that is always going to be it. I think it's that, I'm going to rephrase that again, sorry. What is the biggest mistake I've made as a founder? The biggest mistakes I've made as a founder have always been the same. It's always around people. It's always, I've hired the wrong person or I have taken too long to let the wrong person go. And that's really hard because... Once you start working with someone, and if you're a small company like us, like you develop a relationship with someone, it's very hard to just say, do you know what? This isn't working out. Can you go? And that's really hard to do. And not only that, there are times when you've hired someone and 
you've just got it completely wrong. And you probably could have seen that earlier on, but you just sort of blanked it out. And that is really hard. And so my advice to everyone is that classic maxim of hire slow and fire fast. What do I look for in a co-founder? Um, everything that I'm not. Okay, so when you, it's a really good exercise and there's a really great show uh, episode about this with um, Warwick Hill from Microsoft. And he talks about this great practice of writing down all of your skills and what you're exceptional at and then write down all the skills that you need to run your business and then cross-reference that and where the gaps are, go and get someone that has that. They're not going to get all of it, but yeah, in quick summary, I am an accelerator. I need a break. I need someone who's going to slow me down when I get excited. I am not someone who is hugely details focused. So I need someone who is very details focused. I am someone who doesn't talk about like their feelings or what they're going through or how hard something is. And so sometimes you need someone who is who is just going to ask you anyway, who's just going to help bring that out because you need to have that that release sometimes. You know, so you need that. And I think find that person who can support you with that. And that might not be one person. Like I have three co-founders and they all serve different purposes. The best way to make a startup visible to the wider world, you talk to fucking everyone. Talk to your customers. It's no point just being massive. It doesn't make any value. We we have been in um, tier one media for loads of things. Has that moved the needle for us? Probably not. Okay, we get millions upon millions of views on TikTok. Has that made us more successful? Probably not. What has made us more successful? Speaking to our customers. So be famous in the right people's minds. Do I think a degree is necessary to be a founder? No, of course it's not necessary. I do think that having a degree does help you to become a founder. And the reason I say that, and this might be a bit controversial, is that you're more likely to have a network when you leave university. If you go to university, you will meet with people that will become engineers. You'll meet with people that will become marketers. You'll meet with people that will become X, Y, Z. And the harsh reality is maybe the better university you go to, the more likely those people are to progress to more senior roles in organizations. I'm not saying that's definitely the case. I'm saying it's more likely because that's what the evidence suggests. There are people who have been exceptionally successful, but they are outliers. And so what university gives you, it gives you a network which you can leverage for the rest of your career. And the most powerful thing you can have is network. And for you to go and build that network without that is harder. I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying it's harder. Also, the truth is, when you're 18, do you have any idea what you're going to do and what you want to do with your life? No, you don't. University gives you another three years to figure it out. My biggest win as a founder, I think the biggest win I have, and this is so counterintuitive, is when someone comes to my organization at a certain level of employment or grade or whatever, and they leave and go on to a job that is way better than they would have applied for when they came here. And we've had it before with a member of staff who came in with zero experience professionally and when they left after two years and they were exceptional when they were here, they got a job that was probably four years ahead of where they should have been because we accelerated them and got them more experience than they would have got in a corporate environment. And that's the biggest win because that that just makes you realize what you're doing for for, for the people that work for you. And I, I fucking love that. And because I can brag about it to everyone all the time and that's really good for me.